Well, we've been uh, embarked on a, a journey of uh, the study of Philippians. And uh, just to kind of contextualize um, <clears throat> what we've got to share today, that it was Paul the Apostle who invested his heart and soul into the lives of the believers at Philippi. And um, Philippi was a Roman colony when uh, um, Paul arrived there on his second mission journey. And uh, they were known to be a center uh, where there was great history and popularity throughout the known world because it was the seat and the throne of Alexander the Great, who went on to conquer most all of Persia as well. But while this distant past carried its fame, Paul shows up 350 more or less years later, and this greatness that they had experienced had come under the rule and reign of Rome and under the Roman Empire. So they were once the conquerors of the known world. Then Rome took them over some years later. And so their lives and their understanding was about your allegiance to Caesar. And as long as you gave appropriate allegiance to Caesar, life would be, be very uh, peaceful. Of course, these people learned that they were, of course, a part of the Roman Empire and so they felt pretty good about themselves, and, and um, they, they just were, had, had fallen into a flow of life. So Paul comes now, and he introduces them to Christ Jesus, who is Lord of all of creation and the sustainer of all. And that was quite a contrast, because their allegiance, they were well taught and trained. Their allegiance was to Caesar and to Rome. And Paul now introduces them uh, to Christ Jesus, the creator, sustainer of life, and says, he is the one to whom we must look. We must turn towards him because he is the one that we will stand before one day in judgment and give an account of our lives. But he is also the one. It's more than just an accountability before him, but he's the giver of life, the sustainer of life. So Paul um, shared the good news with them, and there was a band of believers there in Philippi. About five years later, Paul then writes this letter to the Philippians, the Christians at Philippians, of which we've been reviewing. So over the last seven weeks in our study of Paul's letter to the Philippians, we have discovered, uh, like the Christians at Philippi, um, we, we discover that we can have joy in the journey by, and I've got a little list here of the areas that we've covered each week. Um, joy in the journey by knowing our destiny, knowing our value, knowing how to think and how to love, knowing Christ Jesus as Lord, knowing how to assess our past, knowing our present and our future, knowing his peace, which we talked about last week, and today we're going to focus on knowing God's provision. And these are the main areas. So I want to pick up today in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 10 through the end of the chapter. And we're going to wrap this study up. So let's go to Philippians 4 and verse 10. 
But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked an opportunity to act. Not that I speak from need, for I have learned to become content in whatever circumstance I am. I know how to get along with little. I know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my difficulty. You yourselves also know, Philippians, then at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving expect, except you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek the profit, which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance, and I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a free, fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Well, now to God our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So Paul wraps up his letter to the Philippians with, um, a lot of a, of a word of encouragement and commendation. Did you notice how grateful Paul, again, all through this letter, he continually is expressing the joy that he has in his relationship with them. He's grateful to God for them. He's grateful to God to them. Specifically now, he references the financial gifts that he received from the saints there that were delivered to him, and it struck a note of joy within him once again. And so let's just go back now. I want to just select a few different things from some of these verses of Scripture. Um, verse 10, he said, I rejoice in the Lord that you have revived your concern for me. There had been something stirred within their hearts, and now they're wanting to share um, with Paul. And Paul felt it in a very tangible way. He all he sensed from their spirit the, the sense of honor, but then they gave a gift to him. And so Paul talks to us about growth here. He talks to us about commitment. It's not a, or in contentment, I should say, it's not an attitude of having, let's have fate have its way. That's not what he's suggesting. But what he is saying, as people who are anchored in a relationship with God through Christ Jesus, we can have assurance in knowing that he always loves us. He's always with us. Even when we don't see his hand extended to us, we can trust that his heart is always for us. That is so huge and significant in our lives to learn that. 
because sometimes circumstances are up, down, and around and get sideways and twisted and distorted. And so the Lord always encourages us, remember who I am. I'm a good, good father. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I'm with you. I'm even with you in your pain. There's pain that happens in our world because there's sin and evil in this world, of which he has dealt with at the cross, but there'll be the ultimate obliteration of sin and evil in our world one day after Christ returns, to which we can all go, yahoo. And, uh, but he says, I am with you and I want your security in me. You remember last week how uh, the apostle Paul walked us through the process of finding peace. If you wasn't here last week, and this is an area at all to any degree of interest, I would recommend go back and listen to, you can go on YouTube or go to our website and, and get the message on there. Actually, we record the whole service and put it on there. But we, we went specifically into this area of peace. But Paul lays out for us the steps and the means by which we can get a hold of peace. You know, somebody can say, well, just have peace. And you go, well, thanks. That's, that's very thoughtful of you. But what do I do? There must be some responsiveness of our hearts and steps whereby we can get a hold of it. And it can become very real to us internally and affect us externally. So Paul talked about how to keep our hearts, how to keep our minds focused. Uh, how to direct our minds specifically. Last week, we looked at this scripture. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there be any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, think. Everybody say think. Think about these things. How many of you know our thinker is always going, right? Sometimes you're trying to go to sleep. You're still thinking. How many of you wake up in the night and you're still thinking? You're trying to go back to sleep and you're thinking. And so Paul says, you know, God gave us these amazing minds, but he says, you've got to do some programming to the extent to redirect your thoughts. Some of us have some automatic responses to certain circumstances that puts us on a trajectory of thought that does not lead to peace. And this is where, where, where the Lord in his goodness invites us into this discipline to where that we can train our souls, train our minds how to think according to love and life and the goodness of God. And there, there literally is a means whereby can we can train our minds and our souls, right? Yeah. We learn to think. We bring a discipline to the mind and such. It's not easy to make that transition. That doesn't mean that we are no longer subjected to fear and the things that can bring distraction to us. It just means that we can know better how to move in the opposite direction and to stay anchored in the love of Christ, which casts out all fear. And so this is key to experiencing peace and peace from day to day. I mentioned last week, if turmoil and fear is a constant in your life, I think it'd be great just to seek some help, seek some counsel. And uh, we, we have dealt with, you know, a few thousand people here in this building 
on one-to-one sessions through, through uh, one of the ministries here called Sozo, the, where individuals come just to be able to kind of get a grip on this and a bearing because the enemy lies to us. That's the nature of the enemy of our souls. The accuser of the brethren makes uh, accusations against us or to us about other people. And sometimes that just begins to run amok and can become all-consuming and distracting in our lives and can just get totally out of whack, okay? So um, <clears throat> we, we, you, you don't want to just let that go day after day, month after month, year after year. There is help available, and uh, uh, for some of us, uh, you, you may have need of that. And there's no shame in that. By the way, no shame in that. You know, we're to the wisest to recognize that um, uh, all of us have our struggles. It just looks a little different from one person to the next. And um, for what may be a struggle of someone else may not be for you, but you have your own area to where you've had to really find much grace of the Lord in. So we're all in process together, right? Let's look at verse 12. Paul says, I know how to get along with little. I know how to get along with little. How many of you have ever been a place of little? Now, we're talking specifically about provision here. In a place of little. That had not been in a place of little before. I remember back in our early days, in the early 80s, and here we were in, in pastoring here, um, <clears throat> to where we were in a deep recession and half of our congregation was unemployed. What that looked like was that the pastor got very little or no salary. And uh, those were some tough times. And that knows what it's like to go stand in the government cheese line just to have something to eat. And uh, the cupboards were literally bare at new times. And it's like, you know, okay, how are we going to make this? So we, we know what the little is like. Some of you know that, and probably in ways that um, maybe the to, to greater degrees than, than than what we've experienced in our lives. But that was actually good for us in hindsight because it tapped us to the depths of our soul. Say, okay, what is our response going to be? How are we going to make this through? And 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 you, it's an opportunity to grow, or it's an opportunity to become overwhelmed with fear, and just to lose hope. Okay. We chose to make it. It was a very conscious choice from day to day to keep ourselves in the love of God and not allow fear to consume us and to dare to believe God. We never spoke to anyone of our needs. And actually, our congregation did not even know where, where we were at. Um, and so we never said a word to anybody. But as we would just keep our hearts directed towards the Lord and give him thanks and try to keep hope alive and faith alive, Every now and then we'd come home and there would be groceries on our front step. And we were doing everything possible we could. And and actually for the next several years, um, it was a tough time as we, as in our economy, was coming out of this recession. I was working three jobs. Danette worked two. Five jobs between us. And so that's how we lived. And uh, it was a way of life. And uh, we're talking day and night, seven days a week. So, um, not literally all night, everything, but, you know, just figuratively speaking, extreme amount of hours and all of that. 
Uh, it never harmed us, so because by the grace of God, we were able to maintain our focus here. So Paul says, I know how to get along with little. And everybody said, amen. Yeah, we've had little, we've had all some lean times in our lives. And then Paul says, I know how to live in prosperity, prosperity, and how to live in abundance. And how many of you know, that's better. (laughs) That's easier. But I'm so grateful for the opportunities. And in every circumstance, now this is interesting that Paul says, I have learned. Key word, I have learned. Paul said, I had to grow in the process. I couldn't just like, well, God loves me. I guess that's good enough and sit back and what? No, Paul was attentive to what the spirit of the Lord was wanting to work in him and how God was wanting to work around his life. He had this awareness and that was his focal point. So he learned, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry both of abundance and suffering need. But he said, in all, I've learned contentment. I've had this place of spiritual peace and rest in the Lord. Now, some of us, like I said, have different circumstances. You may be in a very difficult circumstance right now in your life, and you're like being stretched to the max. It could be one of basic provisions, and um, you, you may be stretched to the max, Um, but let us make it a learning and and growing process. You know, Paul, he had a few things to deal with that I haven't dealt with. And, you know, he was beaten and left for dead, at least on one occasion. He was shipwrecked and and, um, he was persecuted and tortured. And, oh my goodness, he went through a lot of things. And then in verse 13, notice what it says. I love how Paul Eventually, I don't know how many years it took before he could come to this point because he's been walking with God now for about uh, 20, some, 20, 20, 25 years at this point. And so he said, I've come to the point where I've realized that I can do all things. But what is the key? Through Christ who strengthens me. I'm going to make it. I've learned this. I've, I've, I've understood that my strength is in him. So I got to keep Christ-centered, keep my equilibrium. I can't be consumed. I I can't allow myself to be overwhelmed with fear. He said, I've learned this. Now, we're privileged as believers. We must remind ourselves, we we have the spirit of the Lord within and around us, okay? As we have put our faith in Christ. We're so privileged to have Christ within us. The Bible talks about being filled with spirit and being temples of the Holy Spirit. We can expect the supernatural presence of God to pull us through the tough times. Well, I thought we'd have a shout on that one. I'm saying we can expect the supernatural presence of God to pull us through the tough times. And some of you, like, you really know this. And if you haven't had one of those tough times yet, you probably will. And we're going to be praying with you. And we're going to be praying for you and doing everything we can to support one another. Do you remember in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12 where um, Paul talks about um, 
grace in the weakness. It's, it's when I'm weak that I realize my strength in Christ. Yeah. You know, on the good day when life is all going well and maybe you just had this last week, you know, life just really flowed beautifully for you and you didn't necessarily sense in a deep way how much I need God this week. But when one of those weeks come along and situations and circumstances come and it's like, you know, somebody just pulled a rug out from under you, everything that could go wrong did, and you're like, oh my God, what am I going to do now? And But you just position yourself before God and you realize, help, I need you, Lord. And that's where the Apostle Paul was numerous times. He said, I have found that it is my weakness. I have found that there's always grace sufficient. God spoke that word into Paul's spirit when he was down and out. But we need to train our souls. Paul said in verse 14, nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my difficulty. Now Paul is beginning to direct his focus and his commendation specifically towards the financial blessings and the help and the assistance that he received um, through the Philippians. And he said, "You, you, my friends, participated in being God's answer to my prayers. Then that and I, we've talked about this several times, and we just did again in the last couple of days. And because I've, I've told her, I was sharing with her the focus of uh, of the message today, and 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 I said, "Did that? Isn't it so beautiful? All over the years, we've seen God answer our prayers of provision again and again." And then I said, "You know what's even more fun though is to be in God's answer of provision to other people." You see, that's love. When we learn how to move in the love of God, you step into the flow of that reciprocal flow of divine life. You give, you receive, you give, and you receive. It's a sign of growing up. How many of you know, as little children, we expect them, Mommy, I need this. Daddy, I need that. That's normal. That's normal. But as they begin to grow, we begin to show them by example and give them opportunities where they can participate in the grace of giving. How about just learning to share a toy? (laughs) It's fun, you know, fun being grandparents and, and watching all this stuff evolve with your grandchildren, right? And, and, and it, it's, it's, they're learning how to share what they've been entrusted with and blessed with. And I mean, you know, it's not always easy for children. As some personalities, it's pretty easy, like, oh, sure. And for others, it's like, no. <laughs> and so there's something they have to learn, the joy of sharing Well, we adults as spiritual kids of God's kingdom, we're constantly learning and growing. And for some of us, some of us in the room and some of us listening online, it may, you might really be in a season right now where God is wanting to teach you, one, how to just ask and how to be a recipient of God's grace and blessings. Now, now I'm going to talk uh, two sides uh, of the coin here now. You see, some of us have actually a hard time receiving because we've learned to be self-sufficient. I take care of me. 
I work hard and I take care of me. Well, that's beautiful that you work hard. That's a virtue of God. That's beautiful. But sometimes we can become so self-sufficient, we don't know how to make our avail ourselves to the grace and the goodness of God that's following after us because we're busy taking care of me. I'm going to be a responsible person. And I don't know about you, but I had somewhat of a dose of that as it, uh, um, in, in this way, it, it, was, it was hard for me as a young guy to receive a gift from somebody else. And what I didn't realize, what I, what I didn't realize, that that was a real flaw in me, that God wanted to work through somebody else just to even say a word of honor to, to give thanks, and I had a hard time receiving it because I was too much self-sufficient or I didn't feel like, well, that wasn't that significant, okay? So I had to take a, a, a few hard blows to the ego by some dear friends. And I had one dear friend said, oh, Galen, you're just too proud to even receive a word of thanks. It's like, yikes. And I'll never forget, I went home that night and I thought about that. I was thinking trying to go to sleep, and I was thinking. But this time, Holy Spirit was in my thinking and in my heart. And I realized what she told me was of a truth. I was too proud to simply receive a, a word of thanks because there was too much of that self-sufficiency, see? So we can become snagged there. And I had a, a, a dose of that. I had a case of that. It took a few years, actually, to get that worked out of me and to say it's completely worked out. I, I wouldn't say that, but it, it, it's a whole lot easier now, okay, because of that self-sufficiency. So then there's another aspect that we can struggle with, not only in terms of just receiving, but then about how to release through our hands in what ways that God does bless us. And that affects has to do with our time. We all have the same amount of time, Right? And we have different responsibilities, but, but some of us may struggle in the giving of our time, maybe the use of some of our experience and talents and being generous with that. Or it could be with our money. Yep, the preacher's talking about money today. Apostle Paul is talking to us about it. So how do we do this? We have to learn to manage ourselves, manage our thoughts, managing the, the atmosphere of our hearts so that we can get in this divine flow, reciprocal flow, flow of receiving and, help me out, receiving and giving. And it affects every area of our lives. Now, look at verse 15. You yourselves know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. Now, honestly, I don't know why Paul felt the need to put that in the letter. I mean, he made it a point. I think that he, I don't think he was trying to shame the other churches. Now, keep in mind, the Philippians kind of knew who those other churches were, Thessalonica. They knew all the spots that Paul had been. Uh, but but I, I think the intent of Paul was really trying to highlight their generosity. He wanted to know that this is unique. 
This is just not the norm out there. You guys are gracious, generous givers. For even in Thessalonica, now get this, he's living in Thessalonica and he's living amongst some saints. Now, it doesn't tell us how long he was there. We do know in Acts 17, it refers to for three Sabbaths in a row, he taught in the synagogue. Some of the Jewish Christians who were worshiping in the synagogue, and yet they had embraced Christ. And so we know it was at least three weeks, but most scholars figure it was probably longer than that. But he is living right among them, about to go hungry, and nobody even looked after him, is what he says. But even while I was there, you Philippians made sure that I was taken care of, that I had food to eat. And, and, and so Paul is saying, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. That's why, that's why we think that probably, or, or scholars think that it was more than just the three weeks mentioned in Acts uh, uh, 16, 17 there. But Paul is really being open here, and he's wanting to bless them, and he's wanting to them to know the joy of how they were being sensitive to the needs of their spiritual father. The one who came, put it all on the line, even went to jail in Philippi, was imprisoned, he along with Silas, for simply preaching the gospel, okay? Now, verse 17 is a fascinating verse of scripture. Let's look at it. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek the profit which increases to your account. That's interesting. Paul says there's something even more important than my needs being met. And you would expect this is how a true father would feel. He's kind of like a spiritual father. He's getting him grounded in the ways of the Lord. There's something even more important than me having my needs met. And that is to see you grow and to see you blessed because of your responsiveness to the goodness of God in helping to provide for my needs. The word prophet simply means having to do with the outcome of something. You could use the word fruit, okay? Um, And Paul is commending their financial gift. But it's also interesting to me that he's commending them for their financial giving. But then he uses this term, will add to their account. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? Add to their account as if though God has some kind of an account or is he just talking about to their account from his perspective? What Paul is implying is, is that there's a responsiveness in the heart of God as our heavenly father as to how we live and what we do with what we have. Now, Paul doesn't get into and explain it here but he does when he writes to the Corinthians in chapter 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. Two full chapters specifically about giving, about our motivation, about what actually happens. Um, we also see Jesus talking about treasures financially, about don't just lay up all of your treasures here on earth, but, in, but also 
lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And then he says, because where your treasure is, your heart is also. Our MasterCard and Visa statements and check registers tell us something about our hearts. Now everybody's going to go home and look. (laughs) It would tell us something about our hearts. I find out where my heart is. I find out where my values are. And, you know, I just got my taxes all turned in here a couple of weeks ago. Yahoo. Got them to my CPA. He's already got them all done. I already signed them. Oh, boy, that feels good to get that behind me. Just a reminder. But as I was going over my last year, and I looked, I saw the whole thing, credit card, checking account, and I'm going, okay. And I literally thought of this. I always have all my life. I've been very conscious of this because it's an indicator of where my heart is of my value system, of what is important. It's interesting to me because we also have in Scripture um, about our names being written in the Lamb's Book of Life, okay? And then we have in the Scriptures, too, about the opening of the book. So when Paul is talking about adding to their count, Jesus talks about laying up treasure, specifically referring to financial management. And then you look at all the rest of the teachings that Paul has, you recognize then that there is a responsiveness on our part to participate with God's love and life and this reciprocal flow of giving and receiving and that it's noticed by God. Now, Hebrews chapter 6, look at this. Here's a cool scripture that I was reading this week. For God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown towards his name in having ministered and in, and in still ministering to the saints. Now, <clears throat> our works, what we do in life, what we do with what we have are of significance before the Lord because it's an indicator of our hearts. And so the scripture tells us that God is not unjust, unjust, but he will take notice of even our good works. Jesus said in Matthew 5 about being a, a light to the world and about our works, our good works are to be noticed and it will cause other people to glorify him. How we live, what we do with our time, what we do with our talents, our gifting, what we do with our money is very, very important. And so Paul recognizes and he commends them and lets them know because of your generous heart and as a result of your generosity of heart, you actually turn that into a gift, an expression of your heart, and this is going to add to your account 
because God notices this that came from your heart. So we do reap blessings in this life and eternally based on how well we love. And the more that we love, it flows out into generosity in a lot of different ways. Generosity of heart. It's interesting that our Father in heaven has factored in kind of a reward system. And, and it's a means of helping us, I believe, to adjust our priorities so that he will be honored and that we are eternally blessed as well as blessed here in this life. It's into the flow. Now, if you're thinking, okay, so basically you're making the gospel, Galen, about uh, a series of transactions. If I do, God will do, and then everything will be cool. Not exactly, because Paul goes on to explain in scriptures about the matters of the heart. We don't have time to look at it today and, and, and wouldn't take that time, but in 2 Corinthians, he really is saying, I, I want this to be of the heart. It's, it's a love response of the heart. And where there is a responsiveness of the heart towards God that, that plays out in the giving of ourselves and our lives towards other people, there are temporal and eternal rewards for those things. One of the things that um, Paul talks about, and we won't go to these texts today, but he talks about how that we all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may be recompensed for his deeds in the body. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're not going there. But according to what he has done. And in chapter 3, he goes into a whole list of things. And anything that's not been, not happened, uh, because of a lack of love of our heart, okay, we give an account of those things too. I think sometimes some Christians have the ideas that, well, I'm just going to say this little prayer. I believe in Jesus and, well, oh, man, I go to heaven and I die and I live happy ever after. Yes, but there is something that happens when we're resurrected and Christ returns and we're resurrected and we get to, everybody say get to, we get to go before the living Christ. Now, yeah, I know that can make us feel like, yikes, but understand his purpose is not to condemn and it's not punitive punishment in his judgment, but it's to correct, it's to burn away anything of our lives that's not of love. That's what the scriptures teach us. So in that sense, like, yay. And so Paul commends them for their giving. But don't let that just start thinking transactional, but it's more of a responsiveness and a participating in, in the life flow. Let's look at verse 18. He said, I have received everything in full and I have an abundance. I am amply supplied and I have received from Epaphroditus what you've sent me. And it's like a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And so he says, you, you've really honored the Lord and then Paul says, and my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to God our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. 
So, so Paul is wanting to encourage them because God gives us and he, he pours into us and he creates this pool of resource. However little or great it may be in our eyes, he creates this pool of resource. One of the most common things that we can struggle with is if we take from this pool of resource that God has provided, and sometimes through the work of our hands, sometimes through the gift of others, okay? And if we take from that to give and to share, the question can be, and the fear can be, will I have enough? Will we have enough for us? And therein lies a big challenge for us, fear of not having enough. Do you know fear is really a pretty major factor, and it can be so subtle at times. It can so subtly infiltrate our thinking that we don't even realize that these thoughts are rather mass, but it's, but it's really the fear at the root of it, the fear of not having enough. See? And, and so Paul says, I want you guys to know that you have given generously these offerings. And Paul is probably thinking, he doesn't say it here, but when you read the other texts that Paul talks about giving, he recognizes that they, some of them may have been really stretched or sacrificed to give towards his need because of the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Now he's wanting to encourage my God now will supply all of your needs. If you've taken from your pool of resource and you're concerned about having enough to care for your family, he's saying, remember, you have a God who's watching out for you. And as you participate in this flow of divine life of giving and receiving, remember, he will supply your needs and it's gonna be according to his riches, not according to your ability to earn more. That could be a part of the equation, but not necessarily. I want you to learn how to trust your Lord. He is your supply. He is your source. Danetta and I have reminded ourselves of this again and again and again. Danette, probably it would be safe to say 100, 200, several hundred times actually. We have literally talked about this. Okay, and we'll say, all right, when God's calling us to, to really give sacrificially stuff, we're like, okay, remembering God is our source. God is our source. He will supply. He always has. Even if it took five jobs to do it, he still made it possible to have strength to work five jobs all at one time. That's part of God's provision. I wouldn't want to do it today, but in that time, it didn't hurt us. We lived through it. We grew. And God worked through that means to supply all of our needs, right? Yahoo, it's beautiful. And, um, and so Paul is really wanting them to, to be anchored in that reality. God is our source. God is my source. God is our source. Let's say it together. God is our source, Okay. He may be working through your business, working through your job, working through the generosity of somebody else, but God is your source. Hallelujah. Isn't that good? Now, I want to give you just a word of some godly counsel and uh, um, just encouragement along this line. So here's one thing. I do not know whatsoever your giving habits or not. 
By the way, as a pastor, I have no access, neither have I ever seen any records of anybody's giving. So relax. That makes it very easy just to talk about it because I'm not in the know. I don't want to be in the know. I'll never be in the know, okay? Never, ever have. Never have. And okay, so, but thanks to the many generous givers of this house. And if you're part of another house, bless you for your generous giving. But your faithfulness has made it possible. It's possible to purchase the 20 acres and then to, and then we sold off a portion of it, but to build this multi-million dollar building 17 years ago through the generosity, oh my goodness, of people who made sacrifices. And I never asked anybody. We just said, everybody, you just pray and whatever God tells you to do. And God made it possible for us, okay? But <clears throat> here's some, just a word of, of encouragement to all of us. I have, I think, of a list of four things here. Really simple. Just consecrate your financial practices to our Lord. Consecrate your financial practices to our Lord. Do you have a list back there for that? Oh, okay. Secondly, decide through your giving to add profit to your account. You get to stand before Jesus one day and he's gonna go, wow, you're such an amazing giver. You gave of your time, you gave of your talent, you gave of your hard-earned money. You invested into the kingdom of God. Here's some rewards for that. Eternally, you will experience reward for it, okay? The third one is position yourselves to reap continual blessings in this life through generous giving. We have tons of scripture along the lines of the even the blessings here in this life of how he takes care of us as we participate in the grace of giving. And we're faithful with what we have from week to week, month to month, year to year, okay? He says, you're, you're gonna be blessed. And it, Paul tells us too, you, you can't reap where you don't sow. You, you, you can't reap. That'd be like the foolish person goes in their backyard and say, why isn't this yard producing corn on the cob? It's August. Did you sow corn? So in this life, and here's the last one, to choose to participate in regular giving to where the kingdom of God is directly and the gospel is directly being declared and spoken. Like being with Apostle Paul. I'm so grateful that I, I was privileged to grow up in a family to where these priorities were given. And so I learned these things as a kid uh, growing up. And then we've imparted, we imparted them to our kids too. And so I feel especially blessed by that. So it made it a lot easier because you're learning from, the, and you're watching the reward and watching God's grace upon your parents and you see the stretch, you see the sacrifice, the strain and the tough times, and you see them constantly staying Christ-focused, Jesus-focused, and even giving through it all. 
Well, let's wrap up this whole book. And Paul then finally wraps and says, I greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you and all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And Paul gives this beautiful ending to the book of Philippians. Joy in the journey. And we've looked at a lot of areas as we've walked through the book of Philippians these last eight, I think nine weeks now. And the, and the leave-off point is this, joy in the journey by knowing God's provision. He's our provider and he's the sustainer. And the quicker that we can learn how to participate in the grace of living, the more joyous the journey is and the more that God finds us faithful and continues and in, in, in to um, commence that flow of life. And everyone said, yea, God, yea, God. Let's stand up together today.